Hello everybody and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Culture and Coffee podcast with me, your host, Colin Ellis. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about the three characteristics of a toxic culture. I uh, currently write in my next book, the uh, manuscript has to be completed by the end of August, so I thought I'd share, I guess, some of the research that I've done, <laughs> I have to say, it's pretty depressing. Uh, research in toxic cultures. Um, I think the book will be good. Um, I mean, because why would I say anything else? Yeah, I'm writing a book. I think it's going to be rubbish. You should definitely not buy it. Um, but I think you know what, what I found already is that is that there are some not only there's some characteristics. I think people could have handled it so much, uh, so much better than they have done, and avoided some of the fallout, avoided some of the backlash. There were there were three stories in in the press in Australia alone last week. There were there were two in the UK, and and these were pervasive throughout the week. Anyway, uh, we'll get there. Hope you had a, a lovely uh, weekend wherever you are in the world. Where, I don't know. Maybe maybe you listen to this on a Friday. So I hope you had a lovely week. Who knows? Uh, I spent yesterday watching Glastonbury clips on the BBC. I you know I never made it to Glastonbury. I could never. My, my mates. And I loved, like, when I was a teenager, even now, love my music, absolutely love my... I was never a musician, but I loved my music. And, yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to go to Glastonbury because I didn't want to have to deal with the toilets. I know that sounds ridiculous because that's part of the... I know one of my mates said to me once, he was like, yeah, but part of the attraction of Glastonbury is the toilets. I'm like, is it, though? Is that part of the attraction? I just couldn't bring myself to go. Anyway, it's funnily enough, watching Glastonbury yesterday was like watching it in my own youth. You know, Rick Astley was on. And then I watched the set with um, Rick Astley and Blossoms where they covered the Smiths, my favourite group, the Smiths. And that was pretty cool. Um, but, I, you know, I think Debbie Harry was playing. You know, I'm recording this first thing Monday morning. I think Debbie Harry was playing yesterday and Elton John's headlining. It feels kind of like a throwback glass. Like, you know... During when I was younger, it wasn't like a load of seventies bands were headlining. Guns N' Roses played, I think, as well. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't like you know, ACDC and Led Zeppelin were headlining. They were playing. I'm pretty sure, but they definitely weren't headlining. It was people like Pulp and Radiohead and oh, all the great band, all the great bands. My my daughter's really into the. 80s and 90s. So I'm kind of reliving my teenage years, my early 20s vicariously through her. You know, we're watching the Cameron Crowe movies. We watch singles. We're going to watch Almost Famous at School Holidays this week. She's like, Dad, can we can we have movie day? I'm like, well, firstly, I've got a book to write, but I'm sure I can take time out to watch a Cameron Crowe movie. Um, anyway, I hope you had a great uh, weekend. Uh, coffee. Now the coffee today is is an instant now, before you're like, you wait, you're drinking an instant coffee. How dare you? So before you stop listening to podcasts, right, right, come on. It's fancy coffee only or nothing. It is. It's an instant, but it's a fancy instant. And I have to say a huge thanks to uh, Trevor, Trevor Bradley at Flight Coffee. I was over in New Zealand last week and um, I did a little post on Instagram from New Zealand and Trevor Bradley friend of mine um, got in touch and he was like, how about we meet at the hangar? It was great to catch up. Uh, with him and also he gave me some samples to take away which I've been merrily drinking all weekend now I haven't had this one because I wanted to save it for this morning um, but the others other coffees uh, from flight have been 
absolutely fabulous. So if you're in New Zealand, get over to, to flight or find a flight coffee um, and indulge yourself in this. But yeah, it's an El Fenix from Colombia. Uh, now, El Fenix is about, uh, the, the farm itself is about 1,800 metres above sea level uh, and it's near Calaraca or Calarasa. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it, uh, which is in the department of Quindio in, in Colombia. Basically, if you draw a straight line south from Medellin and then one uh, straight line west from Bogota, it's kind of there, right? It's kind of there in the, in the heart of Colombia and it's you know the the farm itself is in the central mountains you heard me talk in the past before about you know these coffee farms are high altitudes where you get heat sun humidity volcanic soil is is really good but you know there's there's high sun which they get in the valley here um uh, in Calarasa uh, but also a lot of rainfall as well now instant so far as i know the way that you make instant, I may have done an instant in the past, I can't remember, is essentially they grind the coffee, brew it into like a really intense concentrate and then they freeze dry it. So you can basically easily carry it about. Now, as someone who loves his fancy coffee, you know, and, and I've done I've done podcasts in the past from like Heathrow and places like this where I've used different kinds of instant coffees. But this is a proper like in a jar. If you consider like Nescafe, which is the most popular um, coffee in South America, funnily enough, it's Nescafe still. It's freeze-dried coffee. Um, you know, they can, they can be really, really nice. But I do, you know, I like, I, I do like to support local companies. I like to support local growers. And that's not to say uh, companies like um, Nescafe and, and companies like Starbucks don't do it. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Uh, so this is an El Fenix. Uh, so um, it, let's have a taste of this. It's, it's red cherry, apple and clover honey. should really have researched what clover honey is. I don't know what that is. Oh, that is delicious. That is so smooth. It, it's red cherry, apple. For me, it's more like a dark red apple. That's that's definitely the flavour I'm getting. It's like a dark red apple. I've ever eaten a dark red apple. Yeah, oh, that is that is absolutely delicious. Um, so, yes, so thank you to Flight Coffee. I'll put, I'll put the, the link to the website in the show notes. Um, get over there and load yourself some uh, instant coffee. I was in last week uh, in New Zealand to talk about hybrid work. Now, I've discussed hybrid work at length on other podcasts. So head on back to wherever you get your podcasts and search Culture and Coffee Hybrid. Talked a lot about hybrid. Uh, uh, but we are seeing, um, you know, I had a, a chats with a couple of people last week. I did two speeches in, in New Zealand last week. And I had a couple of chats with people about hybrid work. And interestingly, one of them, one of the people that I spoke to said, oh, yeah, you know, We've got a slightly toxic culture at the minute and it's because we haven't done hybrid very well. And I think we're, we're going to see more and more of that. that. That hasn't actually played out too much in the media at the minute anyway, but, but I'm sure it will do at some stage um, is a real kind of lack of communication, a lack of clarity around how you're doing this thing called hybrid. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to spend the time talking about uh, hybrid. I've, I've covered quite a bit. Uh, in on the podcast so if you are interested just just go and search um or if, you, if you've got a question you can always email me i'm always happy to answer questions as i travel around the place um so yes um so three characteristics of of toxic cultures um these things were common 
throughout the stories that I've read and that I am reading at the minute. And um, the, the, literally there's one a day. So, you know, particular areas I'm focusing on are the, are the big, you know, big com- uh, big countries like Australia, Australia uh, sorry, US, Australia, UK, India. Um, uh, I read one yesterday in Switzerland, Switzerland, like everywhere, they're absolutely everywhere. So these th- three characteristics, the first one for me is the most prevalent by a long shot. And the warning signs, the warning signs are, are there for all of them really, really early. Um, but the first one is definitely the, 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 the most prevalent, and that's poor behavior, is, is, don't, is, is organizations that either don't deal with or don't walk past, or, or they walk past poor behavior, right? Performance, not so much. That doesn't necessarily lead to toxic culture. If anything, not dealing with poor performance will lead to a stagnant culture, uh, where people stop caring and just don't bring them their best self to work anymore, or it will lead to a combatant culture where people will get cross about the fact that there are people, and you might be one of them right now, you might be really, you know, you know, getting the lead out and getting the lead out. I think that's a horse racing term. Um, where you might be pulling the stops out, all of the metaphors and analogies are coming out and mixing them all over the place here, um, where you might be doing your job really well, though, that's what I meant to say. And someone else isn't pulling their weight, right? And and when the organization chooses not to deal with that, you, we, we as humans, as employees, deal with it in one of two ways. We either get really cross, I can't believe it. Can't believe it, I'm doing my job, I'm doing all the things, and Colin's getting away with murder over there. So we get cross, right? And we, we talk to our boss, well, why am I being asked to do this all of the time? Or we go the other way and we, we, we just stop caring. We're like, well... If he's not going to do his job, I'm not going to do my job. If that's the way it works, then I'm going to do that too. And listen, don't blame people for doing that. It's up to managers to deal with that. I've talked about it in the past. Uh, And if you haven't haven't downloaded the white papers and I talk about the skills that managers need to build uh, uh, cultures, I'll put the the link to the white papers in the show notes as well. Um, You know, but that's generally how it goes. But when it's poor behavior, that's different. Now, um, I mean, gosh, so many you know, leaders need to worry about toxic culture, which is why I'm writing the book. They need to they need to worry about it. They need to be concerned about it because toxic culture, a culture used to be this black box that nobody could see. And now it's, it's visible everywhere. It's visible everywhere. You know, according to one bit of research that I read, toxic cultures cost US, US organizations alone. $50 billion a year. It's, it's 10 times um, more powerful predictor of uh, employee turnover. 10 times. 10 times more than, more than things like, you know, kind of compensation and whether the organization's hitting their targets or not. Um, it, 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 it's adding healthcare costs. Um, I got asked a question not long ago and, and it was about uh, mental health support. It was, it was a really good question, actually, and about the cost of mental health support. And you know, my point was that it's really important that you have health and well-being programs, but it's better if you focus more of it on health programs. Um, and actually, because um, you know, kind of health and well-being is one of the two. But I often find that well-being programs are used because managers are rubbish at their jobs. Like you can dramatically reduce the cost of your health and well-being programs 
if you put more time, thought and effort into building a vibrant culture. Organisations with vibrant cultures don't really have to spend much on healthcare costs for employees. Um, and they focus law, sorry, yeah, on, on, on well-being programs. They're more focused on health programs like yoga and stuff like that. Um, it's harder to attract candidates. As soon as you've been in the media, it's harder to attract candidates. You know, there's, there's a big one playing out. Um, oh, there's a big one playing out everywhere at the minute. In, in, um, but the Confederation of British Industry, the allegations of toxic culture, which they've kind of investigated, kind of not. Um but um, no one wants to join. And I've said that. They came, they've come out and said that is because the organisations found itself in the media. Nobody wants to join the organisation. Of course they don't. Um, they've, got to, they've got to completely reset the culture um, in order for people to, to actually see it as a viable place to work again. Um, there was, there's, there's one allegation at one. Now, in the book, I'm going to largely, in fact... In fact, I am completely going to talk about those toxic cultures that have been investigated. Um, so I won't necessarily name this company because this was a report on the news in the UK. And this is a this is a um, kind of a government body that looks after the rights of humans where there have been allegations of a toxic culture. Um, and, you know, bullying, harassment, discrimination... But they had an opportunity to deal with this behavior. This behavior had been about for a while. Now, sometimes it can just be one individual. Sometimes it's a group of individuals. But as soon as it gets spotted, it's up to managers and senior managers to deal with this. Otherwise, the risk is that it spreads. The risk is that it affects other people. You know, and that's that classic, oh, it only takes one bad apple to spoil the fruit bowl. Yeah, it does. And and there's allegations around uh, an organisation here in Australia at the minute is playing out in the media and it's led to a significant loss of business for this organisation. One person doing one thing that was unethical and then somebody said something in an email that they shouldn't be doing it, but didn't feel it was their place to hold them to account. And felt that it was up to senior leaders and they were kind of right. But also they did kind of have a responsibility because culture is everyone's responsibility. Um, and so what you've got is this kind of, oh, it's not up to me. It's not my job. It's not my job. It's the leader's job. And the leader's totally new. And at that, at that point, it's not one bad apple. You know, at that point, it becomes everyone's responsibility. So that's the first thing is is organizations that don't deal with poor behavior or they choose to walk past it until eventually it just comes out. And and the, the, there's 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 some of the stories I've been reading <laughs> it's pretty depressing. Um but the, some of the stories I've been reading were were leaders knew leaders knew what was going on and still did nothing. There's a TV show in the UK. They they knew what was going on. Now there are people coming out saying it's got a toxic culture. They're saying, oh, you know, the, the head of this TV company was hauled in front of government. And she said, we don't have a toxic culture. It's like, well, you kind of don't get to decide because it's a feeling of cultures, a feeling it's how people feel. If people feel that it's toxic, then you sitting there saying it's not toxic merely adds to the toxicity. <laughs> Such is the way. All right. The second thing is when organizations actually don't take the time to define their culture in line with strategy or worse, 
is when strategy changes and they don't tell employees. Now, the best example of this right now is Meta. Right, that's the best example right now. There was a, there was a report uh, in the media a couple of weeks ago that only 26% of Meta employees are confident in Mark Zuckerberg and confident in company leadership. And at that point, you've got a real problem when only a quarter of people are confident. Now, that confidence is derived from the direction of the organization. Largely, we gain confidence when, 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 we, when we feel able to look at our leaders and go, we know where we're going. We know what the vision of the organization is. We know what our purpose and values are. We know what we stand for. And then you see leaders making the right decisions in line with that direction. We gain confidence from that. It's got Usually it's got nothing to do with personal likeness, right? Confidence, you, 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 can, you can dislike someone. And I, I still think we have this idealized view of our of our workplace cultures like we just want to come in and be friends no well no it's not like that's a that's that's a nice byproduct sometimes of work that we create friendships what we're looking for is to create respectful work cultures where people know how to work people know how to work together um uh, such that they feel a sense of accomplishment they feel a sense of belonging and the organization succeeds and then everybody benefits Right. And so you don't necessarily have to like the CEO of a company. You just have to have confidence in them. Now, now it's good if you do like the CEO. And after the, the, you know, certainly the most vibrant cultures, uh, who also feature in the book, by the way. But the vibrant cultures that, you know, there is a lot of respect for leaders. But it's because they know what the direction is. And so right now... There was a there was a very big fanfare, and you'll remember the video if you haven't seen it, go and watch it of Mark Zuckerberg and his avatar and him getting really excited about you know kind of the metaverse, and then a load of U.S. companies jumping on the bandwagon and going, "Yes, we're going into the metaverse with you," and the yada yada yada. Um, and it's all good, right? You know, all all for uh, technology and advancements. Hasn't really panned out though, has it? And a lot of those metaverse departments that were stood up are now being stood down. But no one's saying anything about how that direction has changed. You know, there were, there were 10,000 jobs lost last year. There, were, there have been 15,000 jobs lost this year. And yet, and yet, and yet... You look at the, the the stock exchange, you know, so I'm looking at all of these things is, well, how does the stock market view culture, right? And, and if your toxic culture hits the media and you're a private company as an immediate, and I mean immediate negative impact on your stock price, uh, not so much for Facebook, not so much for Meta, sorry, as a company. Meta's stock is up 100%, if you can believe that, um, year to date. Because actually the market's looking at it and going, actually, we're kind of glad he's ditching this metaverse thing because we were never really convinced in the first place. Now, of course, different leaders look at different levers when they're um, looking at things like culture. Um, but, but, you know, what I guess the example here is um, the, if, if he ends up losing good people, then it, it's going to negatively affect the stock price as people leave. Right. So you have to be really, really clear about your strategy. And if it changes, you have to communicate that to staff, because if you don't, it has an impact on the culture.
All right, that's what the research shows. Um, not only that, if you notice some poor practices, you have to deal with them. Um, you know, I'm going to be working with an organization in a couple of weeks' time, doing a, doing a culture workshop, two days, right? And I, whenever I do my culture workshops, I always say, you know, I have loads of meetings because they're all tailored to my clients. I want to know well, what are the things what are the things that are holding you back? And, and, and for the most part, this, this, this culture seems very pleasant. It doesn't seem toxic in any way, shape or form. But what they've got is lots and lots of poor practices that they haven't dealt with. And of course, the two most prevalent ones are meetings and emails. They're, they're always the two most prevalent ones. You know, and I go in and I give them a load of things that they can immediately do. And it changes the game. But people have got to want to do it. But you've got to reset the culture, Right. Um, so yeah, so it's, it, it, you know, it, when, when you don't actually reset the culture to deliver the strategy, you know, how do we deliver the strategy? What are the things getting in the way, you know, technology, the way that technology is used and it's easy to ignore the small things, but they can have such a massive short term and medium term impact. Instead, we focus on metrics and data and numbers and all of these things. And we kind of forget that cultures are about people. And yeah, it's important that we hit targets and all of those things. But, but you know, not if we're overworking people in the process. You know, one of the things that I'm always critical about, and I joked about it uh, in a speech last week, is, is leaders who are like, oh, we need to do more with less. Yeah, well, you can't, right? You just, you, you can't do more. You can't do more with less people. It's just not possible. Yet it's become this throwaway line that people don't challenge for some reason. Now, if you do less, you end up doing more. And it's these kind of things, right, that really... If you shift the focus from the, oh, we need to do more with less to, all right, let's do less so that we can do more and you shift the focus, people start to be like, okay, so we're coming out of this period of a toxic culture because actually what we're going to focus on is fewer things at any one time, right? And if you focus on fewer things, the brain's got a greater capacity to concentrate on those things and you get them done. And then that frees up capacity to do more. It's really, really basic. Right. Multitasking is not a thing. It's not something that we can do. So they're the things when I talk about, uh, you know, the second thing about culture and strategy. It's those kind of small things. If you fix those small things, which actually turn out to be big things, you can avoid a toxic culture. And then the last thing is a real lack of equity in structure or there's unclear decision making. So there's almost a, a story every fortnight at the minute about people who aren't paid as much as they should be, people whose conditions are different to someone of a uh, who, who, who might have a different gender, a different background, a different skin colour. You know, there was a story in the UK at the end of, just in the end of last week, I'm trying to remember it now properly, um, but um, what did I read now? Sorry, I'm trying to remember. It was it was like it was like the top companies in the UK or some of the top companies in the UK had been fined, I want to say like five million pounds or ten million pounds for pay breaches. And these were people like Marks and Spencers, for anybody who's ever been to the UK or recognize these companies, Marks and Spencers, WH Smith. I particularly remember Mayo, my, my very first job was working for a retailer called Argos um, when I was 16. 
and um, yet they were all fined for pay breaches where they hadn't paid people what they were worth, like minimum wage. They hadn't paid minimum wage. And they were all approached for comment. I've written it down as part of my research. They were approached for comment. Just excuse after excuse after excuse. Or we weren't aware of it. As soon as we were made aware of it, um, we rectified it. It was like, why haven't you got someone checking that you're paying people properly? How is that not a part? You've got people checking whether you're hitting targets. You've got you've got people checking if you you know how you can save money, but you haven't got. There's no one saying right. It's Colin's job to check if we're paying people properly. You know the 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 the, um, the research said the, the 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 news article said things like oh it's completely unintentional. I think it was in the Guardian newspaper. If you want to search it, um, it. You know, it, it was unintentional. As soon as we were told about it, we rectified it. I just think that's disgraceful. These are people who have probably no idea that they've been under, you know, underpaid. How do we treat individuals like that? Especially if they're getting paid minimum wage. We can't be bothered to check people at the very lowest long rung of the ladder that you're, you're paying them properly. Um, I also read a report, and this will come as a surprise to nobody, We're still nowhere near closing the gender pay gap. Nowhere near closing the gender pay gap. And this is this is for people. This is this is for females in the same roles as males. Right. It's going to take something like 141 years to close the gender pay gap, providing we kind of maintain the things that we're doing right now. You know, again, there's no there's no reason for it to take that long. It really isn't. Organisations can look and say, uh oh, you know, who's who's printing off the spreadsheet and going, right, are we paying based on role here or individual? Right, because it should be by role. And if the role's worth that money, it doesn't matter who's in it. It doesn't matter what the, the, um, you know, kind of colour of their skin, it doesn't matter their sexual orientation, it doesn't matter their gender. We pay people by the role, plain and simple. It's it's like, it, you know, the other, the other thing in, 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 uh, in this, and this is where there's a potential for hybrid uh, adding to the problem, is when organisations pay on location. It's like, well, if you're not coming in the office, we're paying you less. Why? Why? Um, you know, it's the role that, you know, earns the pay, not the location, not the gender, not the sexual orientation, not the colour of the skin. And so, you know, when I talk about the third thing being lack of lack of equity and structure, that's what I'm talking about. Ultimately, I, don't, this is, I, I really don't want you to start going, what a depressing start to the day. Are you okay? Yeah, just listen to that Colin Ellis podcast. I feel so down and so depressed. These are all insights in how you can avoid toxic culture. And it's totally, it's it's avoidable, it's fixable, right? And in the book I'm going to talk about, I mean, God, there's a long lead time for this book. Don't get too excited. Manuscript's due at the end of August, which means it's likely to be out, I don't know, next July, August. But then, don't get me wrong, I'll be mentioning it. As soon as I know that day, I'm going to be mentioning it every other podcast. Um, But it's fixable. But you've got to act fast. You've got to act decisively. you've You've got to act with humility. You, some people will have to leave the organisation if you've got a toxic culture and it's found its way into the media. They will, because that's what you've got to do. You've got to demonstrate that you're ready to reset the culture. Um, and that's what account, being accountable means. 
is we're taking responsibility for this situation and we recognize we have to make some changes. And then you can start the process of change. Um, but the, it, it is fixable. But the longer you let it play out, the more you ignore it, the more you ignore one of these three things, the worse it's going to get. Anyway, that's your Culture and Coffee podcast uh, for this morning. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, see you next time. Try for now.